Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast from the front lines of clinical operations. We're really excited to continue our conversation with Janine Penman. If you listen to our last episode, we dove into the topic of bringing a TMF in-house as opposed to having it fully outsourced. And as Janine explained, it's not uh, an all or nothing situation. It's not a matter of um, kill all the CROs by any means. It's a matter of reasons that different organizations, sponsors might want to have more direct management and control of their TMF. So I'm going to welcome Janine back. If you uh, listened last time, you'll know Janine is a very deeply experienced clinical operations professional, clinical operations and quality, I should say, um, with a deep background that includes some of the, uh, the very familiar names like Pfizer. And then for the last 10 years working with JP Scientific and providing services to sponsors, uh, not just for things like PMF, but the whole quality regulatory and clinical operations process set. So welcome back, Janine. Thank you so much. Where we got to last time was uh, a deep dive into the why would someone want to transition to more direct management of the TMF as opposed to the way they might be doing it now, which is letting third parties handle that. So we won't revisit that. Uh, we'll direct people back to that podcast. Where I want to start is if we say that there are reasons to do that, and someone listening says, that's me, I really am thinking I need to bring the TMF under in-house control. I want to help them plan that project. So today is building a project plan and breaking into a few sections. In the last session that we had, you used a metaphor of a car trip. Can you start us off there again? Don't worry about repeating yourself. We'll assume uh, people don't mind. And then we'll break down your car trip into a few pieces. So I'll yeah. rephrase the question, Janine. Um, I, the audience, really am thinking about bringing it in in-house. What are the first steps and what are all the steps? Well, I like to describe it, like you said, Ken, as a car analogy. The, the technology is one part of it. The technology is the car that you're driving. But the process, the, the way that you drive that car and where you drive that car to, that's the road. And that's the important piece. The car doesn't go anywhere without the driver and without the road. So the people that enable these processes, the people that act on them every day, they're your drivers. And the road is the process. The tech is the car. So like I said last time, you can buy a super fancy car. And if you don't have good process, you don't have a nice road to drive it on, then you're not leveraging the beauty of the car and you spent a lot of money on something that you're only using really basic features of. Whereas if you buy a car that's right sized for you, you know how to drive it. It's not too much for you, but it's going to give you what you need. It's not too little for you. That's the sweet spot. That's right size technology. And that's that's where you want to be. So I hope that that analogy we can you know kind of carry through when we think about what technology, how you utilize the technology, and who drives that stuff forward. Terrific. As a technologist, I'd love to jump right to the technology, but I am very humble about projects and change that involves technology. And I know that technology projects fail too often. And when they fail, it's often not the technology, it's often the people in process, as you're implying. But let's talk about those things first. Let's say I'm building a, a project plan. Uh, so I'll call myself Fred, one of my favorite names when I'm making up a person. And uh, I, Fred, need to prepare a project plan internally at my company to say, 
I want to transition to managing the PMF in-house. But the picture of that project plan, I've made the case of why, now I have to deal with the how. Let's talk about the people part for just a minute. Now we'll have time to dig in deeper in other sessions, but on the people side, Janine, if you think of people you work with, customers you work with who are going through this, what's their typical situation and what they have for people resources and what they need? Is there a gap between what they have and what they need or that can they do this with the staff they have? The answer is, Ken, they can do it with the staff they have, uh, large in part. There are some organizations that run ultra, ultra lean. There's maybe one or two people in ClinOps, and even those organizations with the right process, um, armed with the right process, I should say, they have the ability to do this themselves. The question is, do you have the expertise to do it yourselves? Um, and the people that the groups that I work with large in part to enable, you know, them to work and, and manage their own TMF, the organization is typically clinical operations. Some organizations that I work with do have separate TMF groups or business operations groups that, that manage these things. But the large, the large portion of my clients don't have the luxury of a separate group and they're managing it within the clinical operations department. And they do have the resources that they need. But like I said, you have to have the expertise. In other words, you have to have the process to enable the resources. And that's what a lot of my clients are missing. And that's what we work on. Well, that's really interesting because you broke it into the two halves. And you disabused me and probably many people of the idea, well, I need to hire for this. I'm going to need someone to manage the TMF. And your, your direct, I'll say strongly stated response is probably not. You can do this with your ClinOps team. What you might be missing, you said, is expertise. We're going to come back to that. But let's shelve that for now and say, okay, my project plan says I don't need to hire for that. The next part of my project plan, even though uh, we, it's somewhat arbitrary, is budget. And when I think about budget, of course, I know about the technology side. What other things would hit the budget other than technology? Or maybe there isn't anything else. What do you think? Well, I think there Technology is definitely the main light item when you're talking about a solution that I envision for most of my clients. Remember, there are different types of tech, many different cars, right? And right. so some of the some of the fancier cars, um, they come with things like configurable workflows. And for those, you may need to hire external programmers. You may need to lean on IT. Uh, and those could be budget line items that hit your budget as a clinical operations department, or maybe the clinical study that you're working on. It depends on how your organization organizes its finances, right? But there could be other things to consider in the way of personnel or external consultants that you would need to support the effort of the tech. Um, but in the way of what the tech does, the fact that it holds documents that are already a part of the clinical study, that suggests that there really isn't a lot of budget outside of the technology itself once you as an organization know how to utilize the technology. In fact, what you should see is a reduction in budget based on the fact that you're now self-serving the TMF and you're not relying on a CRO or another vendor to do that thing, you're going to see um, a credit in the form of, of budget with, uh, with you being able to take this back in house. So it should be a budget impact in, in the positive for you. Well, that part's really interesting. Hold that thought for one second on clawing back some of the cost from the CRO. On the technology side, I hear what you're saying because a typical technology initiative has two very clear and distinct costs. One is 
the technology itself. I need software, maybe if it's old fashioned, I need servers. Um, so there's the technology, but the second is I need to implement the technology. And what I worry about, and again, we'll dive into this more deeply in a follow-on session, is that people are used to the old fashioned technologies, let's say the 1990s technologies. I need $100,000 or more for the technology and I need $100,000 on top of that for a six month or eight month project to implement it. And uh, you and I know that that's crazy talk um, and that's not necessary anymore. So we will come back to that. But your point is still valid, there's technology and then there's the implementation of it. So if you're building a project plan, you really want two line items there. One's the ongoing cost of the technology. The other is the one-time cost to get implemented. And uh, we'll, we'll see what those numbers look like a little down the path. Now, you mentioned about you, you should be able to save money. And I don't want to go too deep here, but just give me a sense. Um, I've never seen a proposal from a CRO. I've never seen one and how it's broken down. But is management of the TMF at least conceptually a line item that you'd be able to cross off and say, we don't need you to do that? It is. But the interesting thing is, so if, if you've never had the pleasure, let me start here. If you've never had the pleasure of seeing a CRO bid grid before, uh, you should have a look at one if you want to take a lot of time in um, dissecting a very large, very complicated spreadsheet. Um, they can get pretty, pretty massive. And sometimes the, the reason that I say this is because a lot of times management of the TMF is a conceptual thing for us, but it lives in different places within a CRO bid grid. So will there be a line item that says TMF management? It depends on the CRO. Um, and it's, it's unlikely that it's going to be that clear. Oftentimes, you'll see it worked into other places like study startup or project management, or there might be a TMF group, but it might be called business operations. So it, it can be a little tricky to find those line items, but, but they're definitely in the CRO's bid. And there is definitely budget allocated, usually a significant portion, I mean, six figures in most cases, allocated toward the implementation, setup, and support, and eventual reconciliation of that TMF. Wow, did I learn a lot in that 60 seconds. I didn't know there was a thing called a bid grid. Uh, I love the term. <laughs> uh, and I didn't, I, I, I wouldn't have appreciated the the nuanced detective work to say, I need to find that cost. It might be called different things in different places uh, to extract it. So that's really interesting. Uh, your customers must love that when you, you go hunting with them and say, when you go back to your CRO, point out these following items that you're not gonna be needing. Uh, so that's powerful <laughs> stuff. So we talked about people and we talked about, pro um, I'm sorry, budget. Now I do wanna speak about process a little bit. So. You know, you've been through this. You've helped Fred's, uh, different Fred's along the way, uh, transitioned into more direct ownership of their TMF. And we need a, a we need a starting state for Fred. So let's say Fred is a um, smallish, mid-size, uh, five studies going on. They've got five, Fred's got five studies. They've always used CROs. And now they've decided they're gonna transition to, to doing this in-house. What are the steps there? And what I'm really interested in is, do you start with one study and work that through? Do you start in a different way of uh, implementing technology and then turning it on for everyone? I just can't quite picture from Fred's current state, five studies, outsourced TMF, to future state, five studies, managing the TMF. 
what's the uh, what are the what's the sequence of activities and what kind of time frame do you think? Well, there, there's a couple of factors that are going to impact that uh, that I want to get on the table first so that we understand when I give a response that um, you have to consider what you're starting with. So what, what's your current base state? And the current base state might be a couple of different scenarios for Fred. Fred might be running five clinical trials within one clinical operations group, and his group of maybe five, six, seven people might have control over all of those studies. That's the simplest scenario. If it's a different scenario where different groups or different teams are responsible for those studies, then it gets a little bit more complicated to say, we can implement this all in one package for all your studies. If different teams and different groups are, are owning different studies, then you definitely just want to start with one study. It, hands down, don't even question going with all of them. Just start in one spot, do a proof of concept, get your pilot done, go to the other teams and say, we're implementing this and it is working. You don't have to wait until the very end, but you want to show some level of progress so that people don't, you don't scare them off from the concept completely. You show them that you've made some incremental progress and that it is doable. If you're running all those five trials under one team and under one group, and all of your people are familiar with all of the different studies, then you have a judgment call to make. I would advise my clients to still start with one study. Start with the study that's the newest. The studies that are cruising along already, um, sometimes even if something's broken a little bit, you don't want to try and fix it because the path of least resistance is to start fresh. And so start with something that's that that you're just planning now if that if you have that luxury. And plan it from the start using this pilot model, this beta that you want to use for your organization moving forward. And then once you have it implemented, once you have the flow down, and once your team is used to working with the TMF in-house, you can roll this out to your other studies. That's how I would recommend a client do it. That makes great sense to me. I often, uh, again, having been in technology so, for so long, really advise against big bang projects. Uh, big bang sometimes make the wrong kind of bang. So the idea of a, a proof of concept, a pilot, working with one study makes sense. Another question though, that's related, um, would you ideally have Fred start with a brand new study where they start managing the TMF? Or would you um, be, be comfortable saying, no, take one of the studies that's currently outsourced and let's transition that? Ideally, I would recommend to start fresh. You have the ability, even if you have the same CRO partner for all of your studies, let's say you work with CROX and they do all of your studies. A lot of times you're working with different project managers or different project teams depending, you know, for different studies. And even so, it's best to start fresh. So you set up the process in the beginning, you say, de novo, this is how we're gonna run this project get ready. It's going to be a little different. You train, you educate, you implement. And when you can do that with a clean slate, it goes a lot more smoothly. And you don't have any confounds to know if the process is working as well as you were hoping it would. And if there are tweaks that need to be made, you know that those tweaks are due to the way you've set things up and not due to retroactive things that have happened in the past in the study that are that now influencing or confounding on some level your new process process that you've implemented. It's a lot, you know, as a scientist, I can't help myself, right? Like it's a lot cleaner when you start fresh and you know that there are no external influences that you weren't expecting. Uh, um, I completely agree. 
but I have to add something. So I completely agree. In an ideal world, Fred, new study, clean, um, familiarize themselves with all the related processes to managing TMF processes and artifacts. You get that, works perfectly. I do wanna mention that once you've done that, moving a study in process, a second study with CROX and saying now for this study, we are gonna transition it and it's in the middle of a two year run is not as they say, rocket science, it can be done. So I'm completely agreeing with you. Let's get familiar. Let's start with low risk. Let's do all that. But then I would not be saying to my customers, now wait for every new study and just play out what you've got with the CROs. And that's just because the migration turns out just isn't that hard. And it does, as we talked about last time, give you a chance to do some of the cleaning along the way rather than all at the end of the study. Make sense to you? Oh, you know what? Honestly, I couldn't agree with you more and I'm glad you made the point. This is absolutely not to say that, that the process isn't good when you already have a study started. If I had my druthers and I have the opportunity of having a, a brand new project that's kicking off when I'm looking at doing this, then great. But you know what, Ken, honestly, the reality is that most clients won't be in that position when they say, I might want to do this. And you're right, we don't want to deter you as clients, as sponsors running clinical studies to wait for the next new thing. That is no need at all. And like Ken said, I am a big believer in um, clean as you go and, and a migration is a great opportunity to do a nice house cleaning of what you've got in your TMF. So don't be afraid to, to tackle this mid-study if that's where you're at in your organization. Absolutely. All right. So we have talked about the people side. We talked about the budget side. Now we've talked a bit about process and where to start and how to start all of which we'll circle back to in more detail. On the technology side, it's really hard for me to resist going deep, but I'll just preview what I think we'll be talking about uh, in another session, which is that very simply, and I think you mentioned this last time, if you listening to this are thinking, well, there's just no way, there's just no way I could ever do this, the budget proposal, for uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to take this in-house, it's just not gonna happen. Even if I could prove it would cost, save money, it's not gonna happen. And what I wanna say is stop right there. Not the song that says before you go any further, but do stop right there um, because the cost models have changed dramatically. I myself in the nineties and the aughts, have written proposals for hundreds of thousands of dollars in software and services to do these exact things. And now I'm writing proposals and um, implementing systems for tens of thousands of dollars and sometimes very small tens of thousands of dollars. So the costs are just dramatically different. So don't cut yourself off from thinking about this saying it's never gonna happen because I know those technologies. Because unless you've looked lately, you might not know those technologies. We've gone from a platform model to an application model and those applications are in the cloud, ready to use, and, and much faster and easier to implement. So that was my grabbing a microphone for a minute. I hope you don't mind, Janine. I don't at all. And I, you know what, for the benefit of all the people out there who I know are watching or listening, I should say, to this podcast, um, would you repeat again the numbers? Tens of thousands of dollars, right? And in the low end. Because I think that's something that there's a huge misconception that that a, that a TMF solution has to cost six figures or more. 
honestly. And I want clients that are on tight budgets to know that we, we hear you, we see you and we can help you and that there are solutions available for you that are like you mentioned in the low, maybe in the low end of the tens of thousands of dollars, Absolutely. that there are affordable yeah. things out there. Yeah, if you have a technology proposal in front of you to manage a trial master file or to manage SOPs, anything in the document management space, and you see six figures, I can literally say just run, run like the wind. <laughs> it's just a, it's a, it's a prior generation model, and we're in a different place now. And I'm glad we are because the systems are sweeter. Uh, that's technologists speaking, but they are. Um, just much better UI, easier to use. So not only cheaper to subscribe to or, or license, but cheaper to use because uh, usability is higher, training. We don't do multiple days training workshops anymore. Just like we don't do that for a new app you download on your phone. Nobody goes to training for an app. You, you learn how to use it. Now, of course, we do training. I'm just saying this isn't, let's get everyone worldwide together for three days. That would be crazy talk. Um, so, so it's Those very, very days. different today. Those are the old days and I'm old <laughs> enough to, to talk about it. So we've talked about the elements of the project plan and that was the biggest thing, but I put a bookmark on something a little while ago and it was about um, the cost side with the CRO. So let me just make this my last question for you. The first thing I want to say is I really worry about coming across in these sessions as CROs are bad. And I just want to tell you, our customers are CROs. We work with CROs all the time. CROs aren't bad. They're providing absolutely essential service for clinical trials to happen. Um, so use of outsourced providers is just smart business across the board. This is a very specific situation for some companies about managing their trial master file. And for me, the biggest reason is multiple CROs, multiple TMS in multiple places and trying to pull that together. And what you emphasized was inspection readiness is the new norm. And that's very difficult to do in that model. So the sponsor is responsible for the TMF legally, but sponsor needs to have more control of the TMF than they sometimes have had. Now, leaving all that in my long-windedness, here's my question for you. You yourself are a vendor you're a provider of services. And as you work with customers who they themselves are um, trying to do these things, is this, uh, when, when you work with a customer, is it typically on a project basis with a beginning and end, or do you actually provide services ongoing? Like uh, I'll say uh, a, a temporary staff member who, who's gonna be their document manager. Tell me a little bit about your work and how your projects work. Absolutely. So uh, the answer is, it depends on the client need. It always depends on the client need with us, for sure. Um, some clients do need an extra set of hands for a period of time. Maybe it's for a longer period of time. So in that instance, yes, we, we place document managers or um, some type of clinical operations person who is the right level and the right price to support what it is that you're doing. So we don't place somebody very senior if what you need is basic document management is, is what I'm getting at. Um, but what I really like to do, what I feel is the best solution for most clients. Like I said, most of our clients have a clinical operations basis in place. It might not be a massive department, but there's people there. Identify those people who are the people who are best fit to support 
this type of effort and then really work with those people. So our clients are our clients and we support them to the extent that they wish, but I encourage a let's teach you to fish model. <laughs> and so I, I always encourage clients to participate in the development of this process and of this overall bring your TMF and back in house movement, participate in that, do as much of the legwork as you possibly can. Let us guide you, let us provide you the roadmap and you actually pave your own road. That's the most cost-effective for clients. And it teaches you how to do this so that you only do engage us maybe for a temporary basis. Maybe it's a few months, maybe it's a little bit longer, and maybe you do need some support. Maybe you want us to come in full service and support you. And that's certainly a possibility, but it's not one that I advocate if clients are able to do this themselves. It just makes so much more sense for you to, you know, engage in this effort, but learn while you engage in the effort so that when we're done initiating your first study or a couple of studies with your or TMF in-house that you know how to run this. You're going to be so much more comfortable. Your staff is going to be so much more comfortable and it's going to run much more efficiently for you inside in the long term. Well, that helped me a lot. I, I was having a hard time asking the question as clearly as I wanted, but somewhere underneath it was saying uh, or implying, well, if you're trying to bring more control in-house and you're going to uh, do that and take some of this functionality or process away from a CRO and how is it okay to then use an organization like yours? And now I understand um, the CRO takes it as an outsource. They are doing this process. Um, and in your case, you're doing the teach to fish thing uh, through a transition. So that makes a, a great deal of sense to me um, because ultimately we do want to have more capabilities in-house, more responsibility in-house. That's the whole point if that's what you're trying to do is get in control of your TMA. So I really appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, so where we are in our series is our, our first session was all about why someone might be even contemplating a transition from fully outsourced TMF management to bringing it in-house and why that might make sense. In this session, we started to talk about the project itself. And we touched on a few different parts of it. Now we're going to continue in our series and do a couple of deep dives. What I'm particularly interested in is the inspection readiness topics uh, around completeness and those parts of the process about QCing, et cetera, and of course about technology. So we'll get to those things in the upcoming sessions. For now, I want to say thank you again, Janine. I'm really enjoying these sessions. I learn a lot each time. And um, we're really trying to fulfill this vision of being on the front line of clinical operations where we're speaking directly to people who are FinOps professionals and trying to get them information that's actionable for them. We really want to be uh, not talking heads, not opinion people, but use us, um, pull from our experience base and um, feel free to follow up, of course, after a podcast if you have more questions and interests. So thank you again, Janine. And we'll see okay. uh, you, the audience, next time on the next edition of uh, From the Front Lines of Clinical Operations. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.